And I think sometimes I can tell the difference between an author who's including food because they love food and an author who's including food because maybe they don't let themselves love food. That is an important distinction. And I can also tell that right off the bat in almost every book that I read. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, anti-fat bias, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soulsmith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Joe Piazza. Joe is a best-selling author, journalist, and podcast creator. You might know her from her awesome podcast, Under the Influence, or her very excellent substack, Over the Influence. And her new book, co-authored with Christine Pride, entitled You Were Always Mine, just came out this month. Joe asked to come on the podcast because she wanted to talk about the importance of seeing women eat food in fiction, to which I said an obvious hell yes. Also, the new book is incredible, and I cried a lot, and you should read that too. But we're going to talk a lot about women eating food and why fiction has been pretending that doesn't happen for so long. So here's Joe, but first a quick break. So I want to pause and tell you about the Burnt Toast Bookshop. If you're a regular listener, you've heard me shout out my beloved independent bookstore, Split Rock Books, a million times. Split Rock is owned by my friends Heidi and Michael Bender, and they have the most perfect shop cat named Georgie. And they are now the official hosts of the Burnt Toast Bookshop. To be clear, this is not a real brick-and-mortar bookstore, but it is its own official section over on their website, splitrockbks.com, where you can find every book we've ever recommended on the podcast. This includes every author I've interviewed, from Angela Garbez to Crystal Maldonado to Aubrey Gordon to Joe Piazza, who you are about to hear from in this episode. And it also includes collections of picture books, parenting books, books on puberty and aging, and every other topic that comes up here. And if you order your copy of Fat Talk from Split Rock, you can use the code FATTALK at checkout to take 10% off your order of anything in the Burnt Toast Bookshop. They ship everywhere in the United States, and they are the only place where you can get a book signed with any inscription you want by me. So this is just a win-win-win. It's a chance to support an amazing independent bookstore that gives so much to my community to get yourself or someone you love a signed copy of Fat Talk, plus a 10% discount on a huge list of other incredible books. And we are always updating the shop. Click the link in your episode description or go to splitrockbks.com slash burnt toast bookstore. Thank you so much for supporting independent body liberation journalism and independent bookstores. I keep telling everyone I'm warning them in my interviews that I didn't realize until right now that all of our books, the titles use a lot of pronouns. <laughs> The first That's one, true. you know, is We Are Not Like Them. And this one is You Were Always Mine. And the one that we're writing right now is I Never Knew You At All. And so I'm really, I'm really fucking it up in these interviews because I'm like, you were never ours. What? <laughs> but this one, this one is this You one. Were Always Mine. You Were Always Mine. A book yes. about pronouns. Yes. Okay. Great. Well, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. I could not put it down. I've been doing a lot of heavy nonfiction reading and it was just so what I needed after like book burnout and burnout on other kinds of reading and just like spent the last four days with you both. And it was delightful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And that's what we wanted, right? There's a lot of heavy shit in the world right now. And this book yeah. brings up yeah, things, things to think about. But we also wanted to give people a soft place to land for a yeah. little while. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, I'm a little bit of a fragile flower and I can't do trauma porn at all. Mm -hmm. But I like books with substance and that deal with issues. And 
I was like, I want there to be a name for this type of book because this is what I'm always looking for, where I'm like, it's about real issues and real people and complicated stuff, but I'm not traumatized reading it. I'm like crying in like a cathartic, positive way. Yes. And not an, oh my God, I want to lock myself in the dark and not come out way. I'm now going to have intrusive thoughts way. Which is a different cry. It just is. It just is. But okay, so the book is out. We're very excited about it. Everyone needs to go get it. But what we're actually going to talk about today is you emailed me and said, I would like to talk about the importance of seeing women enjoy food in fiction. Yep. And I would also like to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, I I think about it so much now as I'm just starting to dive into fiction with my daughter, right? Like where, mm-hmm. I mean, she's three and a half, but this is where they start to read, like you read chapter books to them. And this right, is where right. you start to parse out like, what kinds of things do I want in my daughter's head? And what kinds of things have been in my head for the past 30 years? Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of like, the standard 90s chick lit. Yep, same. The Bridget Jones, Emily Giffen's books, like all the Jane Greens, loved them. And I feel like for so long, commercial women's fiction when they talked about food at all, if they talked about food at all, it was in mm-hmm. a very restrictive way. I mean, yes. Bridget Jones is the worst offender, and it's one of my favorite books, and it's one of my favorite movies. But I like, know. Yeah, the calorie count of a banana. I will never yes. not know that. I didn't know it before I read the book. Right? And now you will always, <sighs> always know, it. know it. It's not just a shift even away from diet culture. And we tried to satirize that in my novel, Fitness Junkie, to just, you know, send up how Mm. ridiculous this world can be. But it's not even a shift away from it. It's a shift to simply normalizing women loving food as much as we love food and as much as I adore french fries and potato chips and steaks. And I don't want to think in terms of diets and calories Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. seeing that on the page. And so in You Were Always Mine, it was important to us that cinnamon just love eating and that there be scenes without hitting the reader over the head being like she loves to she loves to eat wow right, it's like, not an annoying trope it's not an annoying trope it's yeah. just like oh my god wait you've got some like shrimp sizzling in butter on the stove and yep. you're gonna eat it and then have sex amazing yes like all of the pleasures for you you deserve all of that that was really important to both christine and i and i told you my next book after this is set in sicily and my Main character for that is a butcher, and she owns a steak restaurant. And I mean, in that whole book, I've been writing food porn for the past year. (laughs) And now all I want to do is read more books where women are enjoying eating. I mean, it would be a crime to set a book in Sicily and not have food porn. In You Were Always Mine, the food stuff is, it's not like the main focus of the book at all. It's like this nice detail of her character that you get to see her enjoying food. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it gives away too much to say like she had a hard childhood food scarcity is something she'd experienced. So there's like some nuance to her food story too. It's not just like loving it for the sake of loving it. You really like invest in her loving it because you're like, you haven't had enough and now you have this and it's And now you you have this and you can really enjoy it. Christine and I, my co-author, we are just like both two women who love food and love eating. And we've celebrated every one of our book milestones at a delicious, amazing restaurant. It's funny because when we found out that our last book, we are not like them. When we found out it was a Good Morning America book club pick, they tell you like six months in advance. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then they're like, and by the way, it's a secret. Oh, God. Oh, oh I wouldn't do well with that. Well, we didn't. We totally failed. So we immediately left Christine's apartment in Harlem. 
and went out to one of our favorite pizza places, ate all the pizza and drank all the tequila and told Tiffany, the bartender, <laughs> that we were a Good Morning America book club pick. Well, I feel like Tiffany could keep a lid on it, though. She I was, don't think she told anyone. She was mm-hmm. probably like, that's great. She's like, I don't even know what you mean, but <laughs> here's some more Parmesan fries. We get like our best writing done while we're eating meals together. And I think that that is because our books, they do have to deal with hard conversations sometimes. We talk about race and we talk about friendship and class and those things. And I think the best conversations happen over meals when you sit down and you share food and you can just be open and free and give each other grace. And so, yeah, most of our books have been written over meals, meals that then end up in our books. So like you're literally sitting there with your laptops and your food? Laptops open and French fries and burgers. Ah. and Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is why we keep writing books together because it's really fun. (laughs) It's delicious. Yeah. That's a great writing process. There's often writing that I need to do with a snack. I'm big on the chocolate chips on the desk. That's like Mm -hmm. a real power Mm -hmm. through when you're trying to like get many thousands of words done quickly kind of thing. But now I'm like, oh, I have been not putting enough thought into this. I also write a lot when I'm writing solo in restaurants. Hmm. I'm in Philly and Philadelphia is just such a good restaurant city. It really is. After COVID, I mean, I was locked up for so long. I've been breeding for six years. There's so Mm -hmm. many restaurants that I missed. And so I take myself out to lunch a couple times a week. And I'll try a new restaurant from like the best of Philly list and just take my laptop. And that's an (gasps) hour and a half where I'm enjoying a new meal and I'm writing and it's so much nicer than just sitting at a desk. It's Oh my awesome. goodness. Okay. All right. Well, that's incredible. That's like leveling up the coffee shop writing experience, which I was never very good at. I'm, a I'm little not too, good at that. No. I get distracted and mm-hmm. the chairs aren't comfortable. You know what I mean? Like coffee shop chairs or the stress of like holding your table. But mm-hmm. in a restaurant, often the chair is nicer and You can get up and go to the bathroom and not worry. Mm -hmm. People are going to steal your stuff without having to like negotiate with someone. Exactly. My entire literary life in the past two years has been very infused with delicious food. I think there is another irritating trope that comes up in fiction with women in food where they are eating sort of to delight a man. Gilmore Girls is an example I'm thinking of, which is not a novel, but the way the Gilmore Girls eat and like men marveling at it, which is yes. really irritating to me. And like marveling at you're thin and you can eat this way and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, a little of that where like her husband comments on her eating, but doesn't really understand it because she's got this whole backstory. Mm-hmm. So I loved how you played with that trope there. I thought that was really smart. And then yeah. the other thing that I loved was the way she eats with her best friend. There's a great scene of her and Lucia like sharing the popcorn, watching a movie. And so food is this tool of bonding between women is really cool. One of my favorite things is the picture of Lucia on Cinnamon's phone is a picture of her eating peanut butter out of a jar at three in the morning. Such a good detail. They bonded because they both eat peanut butter out of a jar at three in the morning. And so that's the picture on each other's phones. And I'm like... Yes. Like that is yeah. me. That is my friend and I. And like we bond over those like little tiny, tiny yeah. things. I just loved how food was this nice undercurrent of their friendship. There's a lot of stereotypes about and reality, right? Of like women yes. being very diety together and like going to the restaurant, only ordering salads. And are you going to get dessert? I don't know if I'm going to get dessert and all of that. And I was just like, oh, what a delight not to have that in here. Which I had in some of my past books too. And I know that I did like looking 
back at them. And I don't know if it was a case of, you know, just imitating what I see, you know, thrown at us in culture generally or what I thought that I should be writing. But it's something that I just, I don't think I was nearly aware enough of it mm-hmm. until I had my daughters. Yeah. And it's like one of those things like, oh, I'm nearsighted and I put on glasses and now I see something and now I do see it. And I'm yeah. glad that I can see it. I think so many things about how we write about women need to change generally. Yeah. But that is one of the things that I don't think gets talked about enough. It's a fine line, too, because a lot of times women's friendships have this diet component. This is a common question I get asked, like, what mm-hmm. do I do with my best friend who's dieting and I'm sick of hearing about it? You know, so it makes sense to incorporate some of that. I was interested in the character of Daisy, who's the other mm-hmm. protagonist yes. of the book. Yes. And who's in a bigger body. And there's some mm-hmm. discussion of her weight loss attempts. And I want to, for listeners, I want to be clear that it's not like pro-Daisy needs to lose weight. There's no like weight loss narrative arc. But there's just references to that being part of her past. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about how you thought about Daisy and all of this. Daisy, in our book, she is in a bigger body. And in a lot of ways, because of the plot of the book, it's not giving too much away, but Daisy has a pregnancy that no one around her notices. They don't right. know about it. And so really, one of the only ways to get around that was to have her start out in a bigger body mm-hmm. and as a person who usually wears bigger clothes. But Christine and I wanted to be as sensitive as possible when we were writing Daisy because I struggled with my weight. Like I go up, I can go up and down four or five sizes over the course of a year. And struggle is the wrong word, but like I fluctuate. And so we didn't want Daisy to be a caricature. I never wanted anyone to look at any pictures of Christine and I and be like, how dare they write Daisy? Mm -hmm. And we never wanted Daisy to be fixated on diet culture. We wanted Daisy to feel strong. Daisy wants to be a pilot. Yes, that was great. She's been told for so long that that's something that's ridiculous. Like, How will you sit in the front of a plane? And we wanted to break down that stereotype, too. Mm -hmm. But then Cinnamon and Daisy bond over eating French fries. And then Cinnamon's like, oh, I saw her working out. What should I do? Like, should I not offer her French fries? Screw it. I'm buying her French fries. She loves French fries. We're going to eat our French fries together. I thought it was very thoughtfully done. I admit, I had a moment of like, is this two straight-sized authors writing about a fat person? There was the travesty of the whale. And I want to be real clear, this is not in that category at all. But I thought about that, too. And that's why I want to bring it up. Again, like, people look at my at my social media? Are they going to be like, oh, it's like, what are these women doing? But she's a very nuanced character and her weight is not the barrier to what she wants in her life. Mm-hmm. She's not sad. She's not no. pathetic. She's no. super no. complicated. Her life is hard, but it has yeah. nothing to do with her weight. That's right. the thing. And I think she ends up at a place that I'm happy for Daisy at the end of the book. I am. I'm Who's happy with too? where she ends up. Agreed. Another conversation I think that authors need to be having more of. Like, as we're talking about, how are we sensitive as we write characters? And what characters should we be more sensitive as we're writing? I don't think that there's enough talk about when we're writing about size and bodies. And especially when it comes to women. Yeah, agree. So just opening up that conversation, I think, should be more of a thing. I think there's a few folks doing it well. I think Jasmine Guillory's books have done a lot to like center protagonists and great food scenes. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. Her books Mm -hmm. are like delicious food. (laughs) Delicious food. Yeah. yeah. Who else do you think is doing it well? I was going to say Jasmine because still 
not nearly enough authors. Like I could not tell you that I read something recently where I was like, oh, yep, that mm-hmm. they nailed, they nailed it. They really mm-hmm. did. I'm constantly looking for more and I don't see enough. Who else are you seeing? I'm trying to think who else. So Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake was one that was a great food book. The protagonist is straight size. They don't really talk about her body at all, but it's sort of styled on the British Bake Off show. So they're on the set of a cooking show. I haven't even heard of this. Oh, it's really good. Corinne, who works on the newsletter with me, told me to read it. She was right. Yeah, Rosalind Palmer takes the cake. And yeah, so there's great food scenes because they're making these elaborate cakes all the time and, you know, because for the contest. So that was a really good one. Who else? Who else do I think is a book I really loved for body stuff was Big Girl by Mecca Jamila Sullivan, which is about a teenager growing up in Harlem, a black girl who's fat. And there is, I mean, it's a tough read because her mom is very directly and abusively pushing weight loss on her a lot of the time. Right. But it's ultimately incredibly empowering and There's a lot of really interesting discussion of like what her size means for her moving through the neighborhood, how she's perceived by other black people, how she's perceived by white people. I mean, it's just like one of those books you can't stop thinking about. I do have to say, I think Jen Weiner's evolution in writing about size, because she always always has. And I've been a fan of Jen forever since her first books. And she she lives like not far from me. So I like actually get to see her in person and talk to her and have her be a person who lives in my world, which is wonderful. That's but cool. in the beginning, she had characters of all sizes, but there was still the focus on diet and like being so uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with their bodies. And now her more recent books are so like all sizes are so much more normalized. Yes. It's not yes. an issue. And that's definitely an evolution. And it's one that you notice if you like read through her whole mm-hmm. amazing canon of books. Yeah. And food is always pretty great in a Jen Weiner novel. Food has always been great in a Jen yeah. Weiner novel. I interviewed her probably 20 years ago when I was a baby at the New York Daily <laughs> News writing for the book when, when newspapers still had book sections. Oh, remember when. <laughs> remember when. But I remember Jen saying that she wanted to write more about women enjoying their food. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me. Another one I really love is Talia Hibbert. Have you read her novels? No. I She's a British not. writer. It's a trio of novels about the Brown sisters, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Oh, yes. I have a copy of Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Oh, it's so In my good. house. And it's, it's in, so in one of my many TBRs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I relate to that. It's so fun. You will read it in an afternoon. It's like... Really good sex, really good food, awesome. That Black protagonist, my friend Heidi, who owns our local independent bookstore in my Mm -hmm. town, and my friend Mary, shout out Heidi and Mary. We are starting a book club of feminist romance is the specific genre we're reading. Shut your mouth. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mary and I are in our hot tub book club with our friends Uh where we just sit in people's hot tubs and talk about whatever book. That's also great. How many friends do you have with hot tubs? Because Only two of us. (laughs) Okay, because I don't, I don't think I have any friends with hot tubs. It just we realized there were two hot tubs in our social group, and then quickly okay. arranged a book club around. Can we sit in these hot tubs? That's amazing. Wait, wait, where do you live again? And can I get to the hot tubs at some point? You are invited anytime. We're in the okay. Hudson Valley. Oh, shut your mouth! I'm in the Catskills like half oh, the time. Amazing! I'm gonna come down and get in the hot tub. We could do like a whole podcast episode from the hot tub. <laughs> Oh, I love these two book clubs yes. for you. My book club life is very rich right now. But what I was going to say is, so for feminist romance, we are always like, what is the next Talia Hibbert? Because I mm-hmm. feel like she is the queen of the genre. 
Yeah. She and Jasmine Guillory. It's kind of a tie. And Jasmine Guillory. And like we've tried some where we're like, this is going to be it. And then it's like another skinny blonde chick getting the guy. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it was a fun read, but you didn't like advance this at all. And not mm-hmm. enough food. No, not enough food. No, Christine actually. So both Christine and I have solo projects that we're working on right now, in addition to working How are you writing so many books at once is another question. I'm very fast. Like, you know, I'm never going to be Hemingway, even though he's overrated. But like, but but I'm very fast. And because I was a newspaper reporter for so Mm, long. That does help. Like a tabloid newspaper reporter. So it's like, if you didn't deliver your copy at 5 (laughs) p.m., you were some like drunk Australian editor-in-chief, like throwing a coffee mug at your head back in the early 2000s. So, I mean, I'm broken. Oh, I'm just broken and trained to write yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah. But Christine's new novel, which, because I'm her biggest champion and cheerleader, is going to be a feminist romance. You can't read it for two years, but I've already read <gasps> part of it. Loosely based on her own love story about how she reconnected with her first boyfriend from New York City, who she dated 20-something, 27 years ago. No. And they reconnected, like two years ago and now they're madly in love and wow. like she's in a super serious bicoastal romance and so the book is about a love triangle called to all the men i've loved before where like her first two boyfriends from like adulthood come back and then she has to choose as like a 47 wow. year old woman but it will be like super feministy and food forward okay well i'm booking it for my book club in two years but christine i love that personal journey for you and also oh. can't wait to read your book that sounds amazing I know. I love that personal journey. I've like been here for this journey oh and my watched God. it. And how no, cool. It's, I know. It's really, yeah, she's just, she's madly love and so happy. What do you hear from readers? Do people notice the food details in your work yeah. often? And what do yeah. you, yeah, what do they tell you? Yeah, they do. You know, with this book, especially with early readers, we got so much great feedback from it, from readers saying, oh my gosh, you know, I just like, I love the cinema, the shrimp scene where it's like a prelude to sex with her husband. There's not that many happy scenes with her husband, but this one is. And where like, you know, he's popping garlicky, buttery shrimp in her mouth. And there's just like so many delicious smells wafting around the house. And we also have that her like daily routine is stopping and picking up her Chick-fil-A and her French fries and just how much she loves it and Mm -hmm. how like, so many readers respond to that. They're like, that's my lunch routine too. I get my basket of chicken and I sit and I read on a bench and like that is my perfect lunch. Yes. And so more readers than I expected are commenting on that to me. And Interesting. I think the comments come because people are like, no pun intended, actually hungry for it. Yeah. And just hungry for, you know, when I was writing the Sicily book, I kept thinking about Eat, Pray, Love, which has a lot to recommend it. and the, But also just like, it fetishized the eating in a way mm-hmm. that I didn't love. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't want to do that. So I was very intentional about not fetishizing the eating, just like making it a part of the story. I think you can tell the difference between, and I don't know Liz Gilbert and her eating habits, so this is not a comment on her, but I think sometimes I can tell the difference between an author who's including food because they love food and an author who's including food because maybe they don't let themselves love food. Yes. And that's an important distinction. That is an important distinction. And I can also tell that right off the bat Yeah, in almost every book that I read. And I've got to say, for a long time, thought that I had to be a certain size and that that mattered so much to me. Mm-hmm. And it was after having my babies and watching my body change and watching my body be so strong and do these things that I was like, the size doesn't matter to me anymore. Like, I want to be happy and I want to be healthy and mm-hmm. strong. 
But like the happiness part is a really big thing to me. I got so much happier. And I think this, I find so much joy in so many of your newsletters because I got so much happier when I stopped thinking about it all the time. Yeah. When I stopped like thinking about the size and just enjoying my life in a way that I wish, in a way that I wish I could have when I was younger and in Mm -hmm. a way that I would like for my daughters. I think it's really, it's one of those things that's hard to explain to someone who's in it how much brain space and energy it frees up to step out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I want to, like, there's a lot of privilege we need to name and not everybody can step out of it that easily. I don't want to simplify what we're it's talking about. It's not simple, about. no. It's not, not at simple. all. No. Yeah. But it is really, once you are on the other side or even just somewhere in the middle, but closer to the other side, it's kind of amazing to have that. My daughter is the most, like, beautifully adventurous eater she'll try anything any and she loves almost anything too except mozzarella like she she rejects his beige food she's like mozzarella sticks are disgusting charlie <laughs> you're like well that's wrong but okay and i'm like that's not true but okay <laughs> but she like really revels in it she really loves that like she loves food mm-hmm. i'm like this yeah. is just like a message that i never got as a kid like i remember yeah. my mom doing sweat into the oldies video and always yep. being all it was the 80s so like always being on SlimFast or Jenny Craig or Nutrisystem. The fact that I could just like rattle these companies off from like my childhood brain. Mm. And B is probably going to be fucked up for so many other reasons. Well, sure. But like, yeah. that's not going to be one of them. Let's talk about kids books a little bit since you mentioned this was when you kind of first started thinking about it. Are mm-hmm. there any kids books you love for food or any kids books you've been horrified about the food? So the book that really got me thinking about this was Blubber, frankly. Uh. Yeah. It's rough, man. It is rough. It's so rough. And because I I was down in Key West at Judy Bloom's awesome bookstore down there and bought copies of all of the books and had Judy sign a bunch of them for the kids. And uh, Tales of a Fourth Grade, nothing, yeah, just yeah. as long as we're together. Sally J. Friedman. And I love Judy. She is one of the reasons that I was like, oh, I want to be a writer because I, totally. I, read all, I devoured all of Judy's books as a kid. Yeah. And then I paused at Blubber. And Blubber has a new cover now. Mm-hmm. The cover, when do you remember the cover when we were younger? The Blubber cover is burned in my brain. It's the little girl. She's like standing in front of a chalkboard. Oh, yes. Yes. And the girls are snickering at her. And by the way, there's nothing to even like discuss when it yeah, comes they, to this little girl's size. They didn't make dr- her fat, which is a weird choice. Which is, is a weird in the choice. In the book, she is. So they were like, we need to show the bullying, but we can't even show a fat child on the cover of this book. We can't bring ourselves to show a fat child on the cover. And she's drawing a picture of a sperm whale. And then in the new Blubber, it's just a whale's tail. Yes. With a yes. heart that says blubber really small as if the blubber part of it is shameful, which it is. Like the whole, right. the whole premise of the book is, it's unreal. It is. Yeah. But I still, like, there's still so much that resonates in it. I mean, with the bull, everything about the bullying in the book is like. I reread it when my oldest daughter is like reading Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and all of that. Mm-hmm, I picked mm-hmm. up blubber as well. And I was like, I'm going to read this one first before yep. I pass it over to her. You can't pass it on. You I just, didn't pass it on. You can't pass it on. The way they treat the fat character, she is a non-entity in the book. She mm-hmm. has no agency. She is just this yes. kid who gets made fun of. The parents never correct the bullying. There's no reclaiming of her body as a good th- body. And it's very 
product of its time, but also, you know, unfortunately, what's happening to fat kids today as well. But it's still happening. That's the thing. And because it's still happening, like, so when I was like, all right, I want to read this. And he's not ready for it. But Charlie reads the Judy Bloom books, too. He really likes them. He likes the fudge books. Yeah. But he also wanted to name our baby fudge. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. It's such a good name. I'm like, you can totally. It's better than Farley Drexel. But I was like, is this a good book to start discussions about bullying, right? Like as a conversation yeah. point. And I'm like, nope, not even that. I can't save Lover. And so that one, it's, I think what a lot of like people our age think about when we think about these children's books that failed us. Yeah. Frankly, and also drilled these stereotypes in our head that were already in our head because we we're watching our mothers go through mm-hmm. the diet culture mm-hmm. of the 80s and the 90s. The Berenstain Bears Too Much Junk Food is another one that I think lives really large in people's heads. I had forgotten how bad it was. And someone, there was a meme on Instagram last week, and I shared the meme about it. And all these people were in my DMs like, this was the book that screwed me up so much. But what was interesting about it, was several people said to me, I read this book as a kid because the f- drawings of the food were so appealing. I just focused oh, yeah. on how good the food looked. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting that maybe there's a way to like subversively reclaim the Bernstein Bears <laughs> to right? celebrate the food part of it without the rest. But I still, this is not one I would read to my kids today without being able to have a very nuanced conversation about it. I didn't remember that until you just mentioned it. And I'm like, wow, yeah. the food did look good. It did look good. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. There, were, there were good illustrations of food. I mean, and Berenstain Bears is like a whole, such a weird series in general. It's problematic for a lot of different reasons. Just gender yeah. norms. Yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Like there's just a lot packed in there, but that one is really a dark spot. In most of the picture books that I read for kids, I have noticed that there are a lot of fatter bodies on Mm -hmm. kids these Mm -hmm. days and bodies of all different sizes. And I'm talking about books that aren't just about size, but books just, here is the character in here. But still nothing to like really, but you probably know better than I do because you have older kids. Yeah. So for picture books, my favorites are Our Little Kitchen by Jillian Tamaki, which is a lovely, beautiful food celebration book Mm -hmm. about these like neighbors in a community kitchen making a really amazing dinner together. And there's queer folks, there's disabled folks, there's fat folks, there's like mm-hmm. kids. It's just like this beautiful, that's a favorite. And my favorite line that's become like canon in my family is there's a line where someone's like, chili again. And the guy at the stove is like, those who don't cook don't get to complain. And my kids know <laughs> that if they sit down to the table and whine, I'm just like, those who don't cook don't get to complain. And the other night they were like, but why not? And I was like, because we are making labor visible. They were thrilled about it. Anyway, but they do love the book. It's really joyful with that excellent moral lesson. And then Big by Vashti Harrison, which just came Mm, out, is a mm -hmm. really beautiful one about a fat ballerina. I mean, it does center on her being told she's like taking up too too much space, but there's a reclaiming. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, I think those books are really important. And we need the books where the character is just fat and nobody's really talking about it. And nobody's Um, really talking about it, right? And we're just... We're still building up that repertoire for sure. My favorite middle grade novel, hands down, I used a quote from it as the like front quote in Fat Talk, is Starfish by Lisa Phipps, which is just exquisite, Mm heart-wrenching, such a powerful. Yeah. 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 My kids really like Bodies Are Cool. Oh, yeah. Tyler Fetter. Tyler Fetter. She's been on the pod. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. Tyler is amazing. Yeah. My older daughter is now obsessed with her Dancing at the Pity Party graphic memoir about her dead mom, which is... 
Oh. I think it's more of an adult book, but Violet's really running with that one right now. So that's cool. That sounds wonderful, actually. It's a really fantastic memoir. Tyler is brilliant. My kids love that one because of the hair and stretch marks all over body. Yes, yes. Which look more like our bodies. She was so meticulous about how much diversity she included in that one. I mean, there's kids with scars. There's mm-hmm. like kids with like you know, the diabetes port. Like, there's just, like, so yeah, many the woman, Yeah, the woman with the prosthetic foot. Yes. Like, yeah. yes, there's all of it. You know, my kids both, they don't like kid movies, like Disney movies, because mm-hmm. a parent always dies in them. Oh, and, so true. Yeah. And they're scary, and there's always, like, a really, really bad villain. So I let them watch, you know, age-inappropriate musicals. So they watch Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2 and Grease and all of the adult stuff goes over their heads. They just like the dancing. Yeah, the dancing just, and singing. Yeah. The dancing and singing. Mamma Mia 2 has the best body-inclusive dance sequences. I've never saw it. I'm going to send you the video for Waterloo. It's just, like, everyone, there's all shapes and all sizes. There's an amazing dancer in a wheelchair in it. So cool. Who is, you know, just, like, she has the coolest dance moves, and she's spinning around, and, like, but and none of it's, like, they never talk about it, but it's just, like, oh, this is just a wildly inclusive musical dance scene. And my, and my kids notice it, though. Yeah. Like, they've said, they're like, there is everyone in this dancing. I mean, I loved Mamma Mia. I'm now really wrestling with how I didn't see Mamma Mia, too, and how I, I need to fix that. You should probably fix it. It's a slower burn than Mamma Mia yeah. 1. But that said, Cher is in it. And the last song is Fernando, which is I missing mean, from Mamma Mia 1. It's a huge oversight. Okay. Well, I'll be fixing that this weekend. That is excellent. All right. Well, this was fantastic. Joe, do you Mm -hmm. have some better for us today? So the first thing that I wanted to recommend was because when I read the description of what you wanted for butter, I immediately did think of toast. Everybody does. (laughs) I know, right? Like how many like accoutrements for toast do you get? But (laughs) I just bought this farm is close to you too. So you can go here. There's this farm called Weed Family Orchards. It's Mm. in the Hudson Valley. And they do pick your own. So we always stop there on our way to the Catskills. And they have this jalapeno jelly (gasps) that I eat with a spoon. That sounds so good. Because it's the perfect mix of spicy and sweet and salty. And I put it on everything. So I put it on toast. But I've also put it on steak. Oh, Like a really like thinly sliced seared steak with jalapeno jelly. Is just like really oh that sounds really excellent. chef's kiss it is yeah. and then my non toast accoutrement <laughs> recommendation there's a book that just came out today which I loved so much called The Whispers okay by Ashley Audrain who wrote the thriller The Push a few years ago awesome and it digs into women and desire and wanting more than we're allowed to have in life. It's also a thriller in just such a smart way. And I think Ashley is a national treasure. I finished it a few months ago and I'm actually really happy to get to recommend her book on her pub day today because I think that people will really love reading it. It's a great, great summer read. Those are both excellent betters. Mine, I just remembered, is I put this in a newsletter recently that I was thinking about purchasing some ice cream bowls from East Fork. And oh, I feel like people mm-hmm. might want closure on that anecdote to know that I did purchase the ice cream bowls. They are oh. being delivered today. So this is a 
anticipatory butter, but I'm very mm-hmm. excited about it. <laughs> Tell me which ones you ordered. I am a like East Fork freak. I mean, they're so good. All of it is so good. All of it is all so good. All of it is. So my friend Reagan is the one who wrote that style section cover story about them. That oh, was yeah. so good. So that's a good butter too. If you're into East Fork, I'd like people to read Reagan Stevens' yes, style like. section story about them because I've loved them for a long time. The mugs, they feel so good in your hand. Oh, well, so I have the mugs and yeah. last year for Christmas, I got Corinne and Tommy who work on the podcast, the mugs, because I was like, we mm-hmm. all need the mugs. Yep. It's very important. Yep. <laughs> and now I ordered and I have a couple of the big like bowls for pasta. I got mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. last year at some point. Yep. It's a little gift to myself. So I'm easing into my East Fork era because it's pricey. Yeah. It feels like a collector's item. For my birthday last year, I got the rainbow bowls that were like a limited collection. So I got the ice cream bowls in the piglet color, which is like the blush pink they just Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of funny because like neither of my kids likes pink. But I was like, this will be for our ice cream time. I will be happy that the balls are pink. They don't Mm -hmm. care. They'll just be excited about ice cream time. And then I also got a couple of the bitty bowls, the littler ones. And I got those in the butter color. Because how could I not get some butter? No, no. I've got the yellow mugs. I thought about the mugs, but I do already have some mugs. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what we're going to use the bitty bowls for. I admit that was an impulse purchase. I'd gone in for the ice cream balls and came out I with those. I haven't seen them. How small are they? They're little. They're like, well, I, I'll tell you when they arrive because they're. Okay. They, I yeah. got the notification they're being delivered okay. today. So. Yeah. But my understanding is they're like little, like they would be for, I don't know, if you're putting out like small toppings of things, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Yeah. like nuts or something. I bought similar bowls when we were on my Eat My Way Through Paris Baby Moon in September. Nice. And they're small. And I bought them at like a street fair. And I use them to like put honey in on a yes. cheese plate. Yes. Or like but I, I, could, put, I put my jalapeno jelly I was in just it. about to say you could decant the jam, the jelly yeah. into yeah. this. Yeah, I decant This is things. like what it's for, to go mm-hmm. on a nice cheese plate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I said, that was an impulse, but I'm excited about it. I feel good about that. Joe, thank you. This was delightful. It is so fun to talk to you. Tell folks where they can find you, how we can support your work. Yeah. So, you know, so much of my stuff remains on the Instagram, even though I I don't love Instagram, but it's the easiest way to just post where I'm going to be and what books are coming out. So that's at Joe Piazza author. And then I'm doing the Substack, which I've been doing for two months and it's called Over the Influence. It's good. I love Substack so much. Like it just, it feels like the first nice place for writers to land on the internet. In a really long time. So, yeah, those are the two places. And I'm also just around in the world. I love running into all of you in real life. Amazing. I'll be in your hot tub soon. Yes. Soon to Um, be located in my hot tub. Soon to be located just in your hot tub book club. (laughs) See ya. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, guys. so good. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Bird Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player. Tell a friend about this episode and leave us a rating or review. This really helps more folks find the show so we can grow. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You'll get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at V underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. 
The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism.